This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Vogue. Hi, Max. Hey, Joris. How you doing today? I'm great, man. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, today we have Francesco De Stefano, and Francesco is uh, well, founder and CEO of Caracol AM. And Caracol is looking at uh, well, we've looked at this a little bit, but not really about you know more large scale uh, 3D printing uh, solutions. So just really, really big 3D printing for us, like boat and, printing uh, printers. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll talk to them a little bit about what, what the kind of stuff is that they do. Uh, but it's it's more of the large scale robot arm 3D printing opportunity that we've we had Michael de Bruyker of Poly Products on here that was kind of in the same area. Uh, and Caracol is, is, is a company that uh, really looks at well end to end what is needed to, to print large scale uh, and medium scale kind of objects. So that's going to be a very exciting uh, uh, you know, emerging area for 3D printing where we're seeing uh, uh, you know we're seeing some things happening. But you know we're, we're not really seeing uh, a lot of stuff going into production, and Caracol is one of the companies that is actually trying to yeah get this uh, technology into production, which I think is really very 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 exciting. So welcome, uh, very, uh, welcome today, Francesco. Hi guys, uh, thanks a lot for the invite. Yeah, welcome, welcome. And and so Francesco, tell us a little bit about Caracol. How, how did you get started with Caracol? So I mean, Caracol was kind of uh, I mean we uh, we were cool. Four co-founders. We all of us were kind of very passionate about 3D printing. We met at uni, uh, and I mean, when we were doing uh, our studies, uh, two of of the guys, Giovanni and Paolo, were investigating the potential of 3D printing. They come from design background, so really at the beginning they were just looking at 3D printers that they were saying it's too small. We need to do something about this. We need to go bigger. We want to do big stuff, very complex geometries. How can we do that? So they started investigating the possibility of um, of combining 3D printing with robotics in order to achieve scale and uh, and of course the six axis freedom to to print very complex geometries. So a research group started around 2016 uh, in which they really tried to explore what they could do with this technology and and how we could come up with a hardware and software solution that uh, would bring on the market uh, very big parts. Uh, myself, meanwhile, I had a I, I had a business background. I was I was studying business first uh, in Italy, then in London, and then in the, in the US. And I was really seeing how this type of uh, technology could be, of course, interesting for design. And I mean, we're seeing already very nice applications in that field. But I was seeing that the aerospace field, in automotive, in industrial, marine, uh, there were several potentials. I was working in uh, in consulting at the Boston Consulting Group, and there. I had the chance to see a lot of industrial supply chains. I got passionate about the idea of bringing this technology into uh, the most advanced industries. And I mean, together with the guys, we decided then at the end of 2017, um, beginning of 2018, to found the startup. And since then, it's, a, it's been an amazing ride. Uh, we've, been, we've been doubling the business every year. Today, we are more than uh, 30 people uh, with our quarter in Italy, but uh, several uh, clients all over the world that are already taking full advantage of, uh, of large-scale additive manufacturing. And I mean, as of today, our mission is really, as you guys said very well, is to push, push, push more and more parts into production in this field. And we know that in order to do that, since 
pretty uh, new field and a new segment of this uh, of this amazing market. We really need to support the clients and plan. So we really have a, a 360 degree approach to the development of these applications. Uh, and we're I would say we're not a service bureau and we're not a machine seller. Uh, kind of a, a, a mix of uh, of all the capabilities that are needed uh, to develop this market. <laughs> and uh, I mean that's uh, what you need to do when you're trying to really open a new a new possibility into into this field. Are you guys more focused on the, just developing the technology, so to speak, for this large scale platforms rather than necessarily producing the machines in the long run? Or do you hope in the long run to actually make the machines and sell them? Are you more looking to like license the technology? I mean, that's a pretty interesting question. And you might guess that it's on my table every day, uh, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, I, 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 we, have, we have a strong belief of, in one key principle. 3D printing is a, an amazing technology. I mean, additive manufacturing as a whole is an amazing market with amazing technologies that don't need to be developed in order to be developed. Like just for the sake of being developed, they need to be developed to address some market needs. So uh, it, we're seeing that there is a need for bigger parts and we're seeing that uh, we need to find a solution. So ha that's how Caracol started. And I mean, by seeing that, we came up with a solution and our solution was we need to develop it by ourselves because it's not on the market. In 2016, there was almost nothing like this that was available already that could be, that could be purchased. So we really uh, developed the technology ourselves, both the hardware and software platform with several patents on it. And we came up with a pretty good technology, to be honest, in which we realized we had a big potential. Of course, there was, and there is still a very long way. This is a, a still a, a, market, a market that needs to mature. And so we, we kind of found ourselves in this uh, uh, sweet spot of having our own technology to do this job, but having a big, big responsibility in the market. We were one of the first to do that. So we had to uh, first create the market and understand uh, what the needs are. So we always start from that. We always start from the application because we believe that's the way we really solve a problem for our customers. And in the end, their solution might sometimes be a part or sometimes be a machine. And we really need to find the best business model around that, serve that solution, of course, uh, having some nice growth as well. So the, the, the short answer is, as of today, we're developing applications because it's such an early stage in the market. We know that there are players out there that are starting to sell systems. We don't believe there is enough. Uh, um, we don't believe that there is enough that, that we have been doing enough in order to find the right applications. As you guys said at the beginning, there are not so many parts that are getting into production with the systems yet, or at least that you can see. I, I want to add, so I'd be happy to speak about that as well. The, the issue is we really need to push the market towards the application. And whoever is better positioned than ourselves with proprietary technology and five years in, in the making of, uh, of large-scale parts. So today we start on focusing on an application. Of course, we are developing technology. And we know that some clients want, might want to internalize technology one day or sooner or later. And uh, we're always happy to fix and solve the problem of the customer and work that, around that in order to find the best solution. So it could be a mix of both. I think, I think the application-led thing is really sound because what it does is it forces you to kind of think what the customer actually needs rather than going from your own machine specifications and your own kind of uh, business model and stuff like that. You're actually saying, like, oh, these guys need a smooth part or these guys need a, uh, this material or these guys need weather resistance or something. So I think especially in a nascent technology or like something that's like out there, but you know, it, it, it's a really sensible approach, right? 
I so, couldn't agree more, actually. Like, really. Uh, it's, I know it's tougher sometimes, and we, we know it's tougher to scale like this. We know it takes a while to get projects done, and you really need to deliver because, I mean, you cannot just convince a client to buy a machine. You need to deliver and qualify the new process. And we have a big responsibility. I know we are doing also a big favor to the whole market because we open the applications and then someone else might go and sell technology on that. But we, we, we believe that's the best approach to grow the market as a whole. And, and that's the way not to burn it. We have seen too many times, I think, uh, um, technologies that being released and, and, and scaled on the market quite early compared to the maturity of the applications. And that gap uh, didn't allow the market, I think, to grow enough to be then healthy, both for the customers and then for the for the, the players in the industry as well. So we don't want to make the same mistake. We're trying to learn from other players' experience. And I also think it's a good approach because well, some of the approaches are obvious, like aerospace tooling, for example, I think is the obvious uh, application for, for all these this large-scale, medium-scale stuff. And that, I think everyone who starts this or everybody who's trying to do this would, would uh, you know get involved with something like that, right? Yeah. But there's so many other applications that we don't know yet, like, like for example, construction molds for construction. That sounds interesting. You know, we, we've been hearing lots and lots of things. I think a lot of the good applications, like traditionally in AM, the good, the best applications have never come from the company. Have always come from the customer. That's an amazing point. I yeah. I totally agree with that. I yeah. mean, their need is is our way to develop, and I mean by developing around their need, we're also able to develop the technology to fix that need and solve it. So I think it's a win-win for everyone. We we struggle more, maybe we go through the the process of finding a solution for them, but at the same time, while we do that, we evolve our technology. So it's I think it's a it's a, it's a win-win because we fix a problem, we solve and unlock an application. At the same time, we find our system to be better afterwards. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I see that there are tons of uh, of uh, of uh, green fields out there where we can go. And I mean, we of course don't have enough time and resources yet to unlock all of them, but we're surely on a mission to do that. And that's the difficult thing about this approach is how do you choose which applications to trace? You know, because you could you're a small company. If you're dealing with like an oil major or something like that, you could really easily be be, be kind of swallowed up by this application. You know? Yeah, I I I, I see this point, and it's it's another interesting reflection that we make. Uh, so um, usually the approach we take is is really uh, which are uh, I think we can map applications in in, in with with three different categories. Uh, one is what uh, like you perfectly described is uh, unlock application. So we have done the qualifying process for the last two years. We've been developing for tooling for aerospace, and today we're producing more than fifty tools for different clients or aerospace clients around the world. That's already unlocked. So whenever you receive that type of up, of, uh, of request, of course you can scale your production capacity up to a certain point. But in some cases, clients are starting to internalize the system. So we are supporting them in in a way uh, uh, in order to to complete that uh, that process. On the other side of the second category would be application in in the in the development process. So I mean, it's something you have qualified the material already. You know you can do, but you have never done it before, and, and it's never been uh, uh, through a, an extensive uh, testing uh, uh, process at the client side. And these qualifications are, are quite important because these are the ones that then unlock the future production of the of the of the of the of the parts. And therefore, uh, around that, we need to accept 
uh, as many challenges like this, but uh, up to a, a certain scale. And we prioritize them usually with, a, with an approach of, uh, of potential of scalability. So if we see that there is an application that we feel we have the right material for, the right technology for, and we can do it, so we can go through a qualification process, we then assess what's the potential of scalability. So how many parts are there out, out there like this? How many clients? How can we do that? How are we going to impact the supply chain if we do that? This is usually the metrics we, we adopt in order to understand uh, whether to proceed or not with a qualification process. And then it's the third one, that is the really greenfield, that are research projects. So we have more than 12 research projects active in our company. We're quite small, but we have a lot of R&D going on and a lot of resources stuffed on that. Uh, because we know that the technology today and uh, the applications that we want to develop, if we want to develop very, very uh, important parts for the future of these supply chains, we need to start today. And what we are doing is really we're putting together research programs together with our customers, uh, specific for the several industries, in order then to achieve uh, the research uh, goals throughout the years and arrive with a qualification uh, down the road uh, uh, in, in, in several months or years sometimes. So really, depending on the scalability, the maturity of the application itself, we have usually we have categorized three different ways and panels that clients can go through. And then we prioritize based on uh, scalability and impact. Okay. But you can kind of tell you're a consultant. You used to be a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm what? sorry for that, guys. No, 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 no. It works. It, I think it in this case, it's a good approach. It stays yeah. inside. The three is the, first, it's the magic number. <laughs> yeah, it would be totally what I would do, right? <laughs> so it makes a lot of sense. Are you able to do ancillary uh, things? Because one thing I've really noticed, like, for example, the best example of this is um, hearing aids, right? Hearing aids, we rule the roost in, in, uh, in IT in the year of hearing aids. But there's, not, not, there's never been a successful company that has done this for um, thus far for headphones, for example, right? There's some efforts on hearing protection, but no one's really made it work for hearing protection at scale, right? Even though it's exactly the same part for the same technology. Are you able to look at opportunities that are like, you know, you need the same requirements, you need the same material, you need the same tolerances and everything, and you're able to then kind of get a free application on the side? Are you able to find those? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's, those are the sweet spots, I would say. I'll give you an example. A very interesting part. I mean, we've done quite an extensive work on, on the, what we call cold tooling. So uh, whatever mold or tool that is needed for the assembly, uh, CNC machining, um, working of, of aircraft panels of any way. So there are several types of layouts and, uh, and molds that you can do around that. And we qualified several materials, so we get, we went through we went through a specific process. We evaluated different materials. We tried them. We made different tools, different geometries, then uh, uh, characterized it, analyzed the results, tested with the clients for several cycles, and in the end, we came up with the full qualification. And now we're scaling that process with some specific requirements. I mean, aerospace tooling, for example, has uh, some requirements of finishing, has some requirements of uh, toler uh, dimensional tolerances has some requirements of uh, mechanical loads that they can take. And we qualified a specific material for a specific technology for those requirements. Then by when, whenever we, we ended this process and we started producing different tools for our customers and our customers started to do the same, we then moved out and, and say, I have seen this process before. So in my experience in, 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 in BCG before, I was going through a lot of industrial supply chains, as I said, visiting different plants. And I see, I mean, I think there are this type of applications in the automotive sector as well. 
So we just took what we did for the aerospace. We went to our automotive clients that we were already working on or set on different applications. And we realized that really with those requirements, we could do what they needed as well. And they had a straight business case, a positive business case on tooling as well, uh, straight away right after. I know it's kind of the similar, uh, similar application, but it's a good example on when you qualify a new material and a new process, then you can cross-sell and cross-reference on other, on other sectors as well. Another, yeah. another example is the fact that the same material with the same properties has been used now for marine boat holes. I mean, you mentioned that before, or finished part in, a, in the yachting industry. So, mm. I mean, by doing a work for a specific application, we've been finding ourselves in the position to cross-sell and cross-contaminate on other sectors as well. Mm. Okay, that's really interesting because it is tough out there because I think my favorite businesses are the ones that are defensible are businesses that are either so easy that no one starts these businesses, right? <laughs> uh, like my favorite example, this is Amazon, right? In the beginning when Amazon started, you either thought that all books in the world were going to be digital, so Amazon selling books online was stupid, or you thought that the internet was never going to be a place where people would buy anything, right? Mm-hmm. Either way, Amazon is a stupid business, right? Uh, <laughs> so it turned on. <laughs> so everybody thought that Amazon yeah, was from, a dumb from idea. That then, I would say yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so everybody thought it was Amazon was a dumb idea until it was too late, right? <laughs> yeah. And the other businesses that I really, really like, um, apart from the obvious, there's other businesses that are just really hard or boring, right? ASML or PayPal. For some weird reason, no one's competing with PayPal, right? Uh, no one's competing with ASML, which I understand because it's really difficult, right? And then there's also businesses that look so easy and they're actually much more difficult. And I think that the large scale 3D printing is that is that type of business. It seems super easy. But I'm, uh, I think Derek van der Kooi is the first guy that did this. He took a, a, a robot arm, he put an extruder on it, started making furniture. And he made it look super easy. He did it essentially by himself. But I think you guys have found out that it's it's not as easy as it looks, this, right? Trust me, it's not. I mean, <laughs> uh, you're right. I, I totally, I totally uh, agree with you with the fact that uh, it seems easy. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's additive manufacturing with the same type of materials that we used to, to see in FTM, for example. You just substitute the, the, the filament with, the, with a pellet. You make a good pellet extruder. Pellet extruders have been around forever uh, in the industrial lines for other applications. You just put it on a robot that is already a standard and then make it move, right? And you print. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is that, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a, a key word around that that is uh, process control. And process mm-hmm. control, when you print three meters uh, parts made out of plastic that has several types of uh, criticalities, as you know already on smaller scale, um, becomes even more important. So a lot of the job that we've been doing and the, the biggest barrier to enter this market and this type of, uh, of applications is really to have a full control over the whole process and do your software right and uh, sorry the, the interaction between your software and your hardware right in order to make sure that you can really achieve the best requirements because let's think for example about i mean the key limit of 3d printing dimensional tolerances in some cases right in uh, in in composites part or in plastic parts um engineers all over the world are always saying it's not as precise as cnc the obvious thought that we all got, we all get. Well, in in uh, in large scale, it becomes even more more difficult to achieve those those tolerances because we're not talking about uh, a small parts; we're talking about meter long parts. Well, so if we need to go through that, how do we achieve those tolerances? How can we try to aim for that? 
And we've been doing a lot of work in really printing different materials, different applications, a variety of geometries, putting all that together into data, getting into our software, adapt our software, adapt our, our hardware, and integrate that to our control. So having the 100% developing in-house help uh, increasing the synergies of the process, having a full control, and therefore being able to achieve better, better properties. And that means better properties, better requirements means new applications that you wouldn't be able to develop if you just put an extruder on your, on your robot. So it ain't, it ain't easy at all uh, as a, on a technical standpoint. On a market standpoint, because there are business challenges, as you can imagine, we all love the technical side, but I mean, to start up and scale a business, there are several issues. The thing is, why did, uh, for example, a lot of uh, important brands have not uh, pushed this type of, uh, of market? Because it was not big enough. There was someone needed in order to push, in order to develop the application, to show around there that there was a need, there was demand for this type of application. I mean, this type of application are already being produced all over the world. The market size is huge. The problem is that traditional systems are dominating the market. So CNC or, or forging or die casting or, um, I don't know, in some cases, injection molding. But this type of production systems can be replaced. And we are trying to show that. But in order to do that, it's very tough because at the beginning, you don't have enough market already available for you to launch a technology or launch a business model. You need to create the market in order to finance your business model. And that's, I think, the biggest barrier. And it takes, I think, a crazy person to do that. And we were mm -hmm. dumb enough to, to try, at least. <laughs> yeah. like the technical challenges are, well, first off, you've got the machine memory, right? Because the memory of the, the, the actual robot is not sufficient, or the actual control system seems really sophisticated. Their memory is not actually sufficient to to put in full design files, right? That's the the the, the number one problem I think you encountered first, right? Yeah, I, we overcame that quite quite easily. Not easily, of course. I mean, uh, but it took us a while, like several years. But we overcame that like three or four years ago. Uh, I cannot really say how. But that's the big part mm -hmm. of our know. -how. I wouldn't. Fair enough. You're that's right. Also, it also affects the guarantee of your robot arm, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say too much. <laughs> let's, let's put this way. Uh, uh, and then the second problem you're going to get, of course, is that, well, okay, the warp, right? We all know right. warp problems from yeah. desktop printers, but uh, warp of unfilled materials that are large are, is going to be a big problem, especially if you're not working with like a heated chamber, right? Which you can't because of like... First, have huge. you looked at doing that? Because no one has looked at yeah. making like yeah. a ten by ten meter heated chamber, right? I mean, <laughs> I gotta it's say that we have a room we have a chamber. Yeah. yeah, we have a chamber, but heating that up wouldn't be wouldn't be uh, smart. Uh, we, we're controlling atmosphere and temperature, but we're not. But you're not you're not trying to heat it to like massive temperature, guys. I mean, when you're talking about three meters long part, you can heat it as much as you want. But uh, first, the cost would be insane. And the second sure. is uh, the result of warping. Uh, you, you don't fight warping with uh, with fifty five uh, Celsius in, in the room. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Then, but uh, like the obvious is the locally heat, like using a laser or something to locally heat the area where the build area or something like that, right? I mean, that would be the obvious thing to do, right? So, I mean, there are several ways to fight warping. Uh, some ways are uh, into the technology, so the way you develop your technology. Some other ways are in the way you make parts. So, I mean, 
uh, why did we choose a robot? I mean, you know very well that the, the, the first two open these markets were the large uh, CNC companies, right? So mm. uh, I won't mention names, but like people that had huge country systems with CNC mm. and they integrated the extrusion head as well. And why did we choose to go for the robotic side? Because we knew that if you want to print uh, a big part and you want to do that uh, with, uh, with avoiding warping, you might need to do non-planner slicing, non-planner toolpath. And therefore, you need a robot that can handle those type of slicing and you need that, those type, that type of flexibility or programming for six axes instead of just three or four. So, uh, or five. In that, in that, in that sense, we fight it most of the times with the way we program the part. So that with no problem, we usually and often print at forty-five degrees, sixty degrees, different type mm -hmm. of angles, different type of angles during the same print. The flexibility of the software helps a lot in order mm -hmm. to achieve then uh, a geometry that is big that might seem that uh, it's subject to warping, but the way you printed it, the printing strategy avoids that effect. The second is, of course, what you said. We need to work on, on a machine that is able to limit working, warping as much as possible. And I would add another point, another important point, to increase the mechanical properties of layer on layer. So uh, reduce anisotropy. That's the, other, mm -hmm. that's the other aspect, right? So on that, heating locally is one, as you said. Uh, working on the printing bed uh, in order to make sure the, the piece sticks and doesn't work too much with several types of strategies i won't go into the too much into details there's a lot of ip run around printing beds in large scale additive manufacturing several players trying to uh, deposit and uh, and submit the patents for different types of solutions but like working mm -hmm. around that is important very important mm -hmm. in order to to limit at least the, the warping on the x when you don't do 45 degree printing and then uh, i would say uh, atmosphere control is important it's important, mm -hmm. especially because it increases your ability to predict when it's going to work. So to have mm -hmm. accurate data in order to be able to then program and, uh, and design the part according. So what we are doing is really now we are, um, you cannot see it yet because we, we haven't gone online with several stuff, but I'm happy to share it here in the interview with you guys. So mo some of our robots, most of them today are not printing in open air anymore. They're printing with several parameters that are controlled in the atmosphere. And that has helped, helped a lot in understanding how we can really push uh, uh, on some specific designs or some specific materials and how they react. So we're increasing the predictability of how the part will work. Because the problem is not the work itself, it's how we can predict it. So that helps a lot then in adjusting both the technology and the designing process in order to be able then to limit that phenomenon. The idea that I think from like you know what I what I've, uh, I've wrote this in a couple articles and it's a favorite thing of mine is like ideally you would like to locally heat with the laser or something like this or have a nozzle that, that heats up very very quickly and you can cool it down in a well that would be cool. But also like if we look at what non-planar XYZ is doing, you know they're having these tool paths where they they really come up with tool paths that. That, that that are really specific to non-planar, and then we're getting really exciting geometries that are really strong, that are really you know doing things that we can't do, uh, you know, with that with a, a traditional 3D printer. And the idea, of course, of doing that with like you know the Sculpt Man, you know, that's a, that uh, I think a Belgian or something. That this is a company with a the variable nozzle diameter, 
And then what I love is this idea of, of full control, which is a G-code software where you can like actually design in G-code, essentially, and then just change the particular toolpath or the particular like speed or whatever G-code parameters for a particular model. So then you were, in effect, designing a process that is really specific for that one model, right? That's one approach, right? So we're, 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 we're taking all these variables that we know have effects and we have more control over them, right? Uh, that could be one approach, right? The other approach, of course, is to just say, no, no, we're going to make one way to have optimal layer adhesion and we're going to only print a certain set of geometries that work for us. Like, which one of these are you, are you choosing or are you even choosing? It would be tough for me to, to share too much about that because we are into research. <laughs> so we, we, we're talking about some, some quite uh, confidential stuff. But I think you got uh, the answer. The short answer is you're right. I think uh, the main points are around these two, these two strategies. I would say that we all work in both directions for, in order to have uh, the best effect. Uh, mm -hmm. on, in terms of maturity, if you want, uh, that I, I would say that's a standard in the sector from what I can see. Uh, I think uh, um, heat, heating up the, the layer itself, so finding a way to increase layer adhesion in general, mm -hmm. is probably the first thing that will come out and will be effective mm -hmm. in, in reduce that effect. And then I would see, I see more long-term the, the tech strategy as well. That it's interesting because it, it helps you then customize and adapt uh, based on the different parts, the sections of the part, and different types of parts. So, I mean, getting a laser on top of, uh, of the head and start heating it up or having a super mm -hmm. uh, hot nozzle might be a way uh, to helping and increase. I don't think it fixes the whole problem. I think it's more mm -hmm. complex than that. But it's already a, a good step towards a, a better mechanical gravity between the legs. No, totally, totally. And generally, I do love, like, especially in a spiralized kind of way, this is why yeah. I think that the, the, the fundamental choice is, it seems like the full control kind of approach would seem like more valuable. But if you look at just like how exciting it would be to just have a spiralized type of thing and just say, look, as long as it's a beehive, we can make it super strong, you know? That sounds really <laughs> stupid, right? But but it, but it could like you were talking before the anisotropy kind of issue and stuff. That could go a long way into making like really strong beehives, and then you just have to look at whoever in the world wants a beehive, right? No, no, I I I, I see your point, and to be honest, it's really what we what we've been trying to promote as well on on our, to our customers is really if we if you can work. I mean, I know I'm saying an obvious thing, and it's crucial for the whole adoption of additive manufacturing. But especially around large scale, if we can design from scratch and design the strategy, the, the way we print it, we're going to print it. Spiralizing is just one of the many ways that we can do that. We will have a much bigger impact on the result of the part than um, compared to heating it up with, with the laser as well. So what I said at the beginning is really, I really push, push, push. And we, that's what we do with our customers as well. Guys, let us work on the design. Let us work on the printing strategy because if we do that, we might be able to get much better requirements than just by changing material. I mean, clients think that if they change material, everything is going to change. That's not <laughs> usually the case. I mean, we know very well that process control is a big part of, of this. So I was saying, uh, we, we always say to our customers that as of today, large-scale 3D printing is more like an art than a science. And our job is really to push uh, uh, this type of technology uh, to go towards being a science. And the only way to do that is gather data 
on different type of printing strategies, designs, materials, requirements, putting that all together and re-embedding that into our system, into our technology. And the way to do that is to most of the times and to achieve better requirements is really to work on design uh, from the beginning. So I totally agree with, with, with your point. And from my perspective is if we want to unlock potential applications today, that's the main job we need to do. And then, of course, developing the best technology to be able to have better materials, better um, mechanical adhesion, and, uh, and so on. It's important, but it's more and more important to be able to redesign the parts to achieve those requirements. Do you have a particular focus on, on some materials right now, or you know, better with like APS, for example, than you are with other materials, or are you trying to be agnostic? So, I mean, uh, in terms of, um, in terms of... I mean, you're limited uh, what you can physically do, right? So. Uh, in terms of um, materials, as we said, by working with different types of uh, sectors and industries and by working on different types of applications, uh, we really have a broad range of materials that we've been working on. Uh, I would say that there are, of course, uh, several uh, grades of materials that we are using for different applications. We've been doing quite an interesting work around polypropylene grass fiber that I think it helped also to get uh, more and more companies acquainted with the idea of using polypropylene glass fiber, for example, in aerospace, something that it probably is new because it's usually used for automotive parts or bumpers or stuff like that. And um, that material is, is quite interesting because by using pellets, we're really uh, able uh, to increase the percentage of fiber into it, and it becomes more and more as a behavior like a, like glass fiber and less like a polymer itself, and mm -hmm. and and that is a, is a, is a material we're using a lot. Another interesting aspect about that is the fact that we've been able to to create several compounds around the same two ingredients, and most of them are from recycled materials. So the boat project that you guys probably have seen was really into. Uh, Polypropylene and glass fiber are the two things that today we can find a way to recycle. How are we going to do in order to build a supply chain that is able to give us back polypropylene and glass fiber from recycled sources and put it back in a compound that has high performance and therefore can handle a both hole? For so polypropylene is one. A uh, second one that we're working on is, of course, for lamination tooling. Uh, so high temperature, we move towards the two, two types of materials, PACF, so carbon fiber field, PAHT, PA6, PA12, depending on the, on the type of applications. And then uh, an alternative to that, especially for high temperature cooling, would be polycarbonate with carbon fiber as well. So for, for automotive tooling, uh, 120 Celsius, for example, is already, is already qualified material. And then when we go higher in thermoplastics, we might go into PEI or, or peak, but I think yeah, some of some of our of our competitors and, and and players in the industry, they they say they they process this type of materials, but I <laughs> no my 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 humble opinion around that is that uh, we we tried we made several parts, we don't really feel that uh, today there's full control around that. So imagine no, think, think, all them yeah. of three meters. I mean, whoever can say that they are handled. They're able to handle warping around that. Most and 3D printed parts honest, are not. Customers, yeah. This is quite long to be effective. No, most 3D printed parts in peak that are printed successful are no bigger than an orange, right? I mean, yeah. 
Let's, let's, let's put it into perspective. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> we're not talking about car bodies here. We're talking. Most people have problems like uh, printing your like a, you know cell phone case or bigger than that. So Peak yeah, is, exactly. I think Peak is like, unfilled. I think it's not going to work and um, uh, for large scale, definitely. But um, and I think I think filled uh, Ultem should be possible on a, on a large system because the temperatures are so much lower and the processing window is not as drastic as with Peak. But Peak, it, to me, I don't see it really. If, they, right. if somebody figures it out, I think it could be very exciting. Um, yeah, but uh, can, also, you imagine, can you imagine three meter big part of peak? How much it would cost in terms yeah, of the cost? Yeah, the cost is insane. <laughs> no, cost, I would be insane. Yeah, but if we're doing arrow and stuff like that, cost is like you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I know, guys. Four hundred dollars a kilo, right? Four hundred bucks a kilo, right? I mean, if you go pellet, it can be lower for sure, but uh, quite expensive. No, I mean, I agree with you. Ultim carbon carbon fiber field for sure. Uh, it's it's the the one to look at for for uh, for example aerospace uh, autoclave so 180 mm-hmm. Celsius as a, as a requirement. I think w- the problem there is not really the ability to extrude and make parts out of that because we mm-hmm. can do that and I think several players might be able to do that. The issue is are you gonna be able to guarantee the number of uh, lamination cycles that they require? Mm-hmm. From a, for example, uh, imber, imber, or or aluminium part. So how are we sure that the, the 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 polymer, even though it can handle the temperature inside an autoclave at six bars, is going to handle that? And for how many cycles? Predictability. And yeah, that, then, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in order to qualify. Yeah, that. but then I would look for PVDF, right? I would try to see can we do PVDF, like a filled PVDF grade, and then then it's autoclavable. It would stand up to that a lot better. You know, I don't know. Personally, I would go for PVDF. Also, it's cheaper. Yeah, uh, I agree. We described me as the poor man's before. poor man's uh, PI, the poor man's ultimate. <laughs> yeah, no, I, we, we tried that as well, and I mean, I think what, what I see, we, we were categorizing the applications uh, earlier today. I think what I see is really that this is in the research part, uh, in qualification research. So it's between category mm-hmm. two and three. Still not sure how it's gonna be ready and when it's going to be ready just not for us from our standpoint but from our customers standpoint. Uh, aerospace tooling is it's lamination tooling is a big part they have very strict requirements and before they make that switch of saying okay let's open up to a new process it would take a lot of study so mm-hmm. production might not be very what what production things are you we've heard a couple of what other what are the applications you're most excited about besides the ones we've heard from you already so I mean, we we talked about tooling. Uh, I think that's uh, that's uh, the product today. I mean, what we what we're seeing very interesting. I go industry by industry. If we go in marine, marine is a very exciting place to be uh, because it has lower requirements than, of course, aerospace. And today, since the uh, high manuality of the of the supply chain, it's really it, it's easier sometimes to to get and find the best business cases. So for sure, both holes are the things that are exciting me the most today. Uh, Beluga, the, the project we did, it was just the beginning. We have several projects coming up uh, and both holes, much bigger both holes coming up very soon. Uh, and I think that's exciting, not only because we're able to do structural parts in, a, in an industrial sector, but also because we are uh, habilitating a lot of renewable projects. So we're talking about boats that will, be, will, will have electric or hydrogen engines 
So that really uh, helps on our mission towards sustainability. And, uh, and I'm very excited about that because it's the combination of our technology, so manufacturing, innovative manufacturing, together with innovating uh, uh, propulsion uh, systems. Uh, other types of application and in marine as well, on top of both holes today, we have found tons of functional parts and we're producing several functional parts. Uh, we're talking about um, dashboards, air grids, they're usually un unloaded parts, so no, not loaded parts yet, but we are talking about three, four, five meters long carters, uh, dashboards, or, or air grids, uh, just to give some examples. And I mean, we're substituting glass fiber lamination uh, in, in many parts uh, of, of, the, of the yachts. And another sector that is interesting, I think, today, um, of course, art and design is, is and, and as a whole construction, as you were saying and mentioning before, it's giving us a lot of freedom to think and uh, realize things wouldn't be able with other processes. So texturized facades of buildings, uh, uh, custom installations uh, uh, are, are a big part of the market today. And it's exciting because it gives you the freedom to fully experience the advantages of this process. And as well as using recycled materials in order to push sustainability on that. Automotive. In automotive, uh, there are three types of applications, I would say. One is tooling, as I said, and the other one is still prototyping. I know it's not as fancy as production, but uh, imagine that uh, prototyping for, for, large, for large OEMs is a small, serious production for 3D printing. So uh, a <laughs> car maker usually can make 100, 120 different prototypes in a year for the same car model. Um, uh, and they usually do, when we go in, in large-scale parts, what, what happening already today is that people with small SLS machines or FDM machines, they do the puzzle. So they just print different parts and uh, stick it together, work on the surface and then uh, get the prototype. So I mean, I know it's not the most fancy application, but we can save uh, car makers a lot of money because you don't need to make 50, 60 parts and then stick them together manually. We're just going to print it in small sections, three, four sections in a robot or we're just going to do it uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in one part, just one print, and then it's done. And it's huge lead time and cost reduction for them. So it's critical and the R&D process for them gets faster and helps them, uh, uh, really helps them uh, speeding up the release of new, of new models. And the third type of application is around, uh, I would say, unloaded part for interior. So similar to the boat industry, there are several parts in the interior of the car and in other things that we don't see in the car but are not still structured that uh, we, we, we've been able to identify and, and print with a successful that's really exciting and where, where do you think you're gonna like where do you want to take the business in like like the next, across the next five years so first thing i want to bring it to the u.s so okay, okay. you got you, you guys enough. know that we you guys know that we started from italy for sure um, we actually did in 2020 an acceleration program uh, in, in New York, uh, in the ERA accelerator, where we were able to develop our customer base in the US. And today, a big part of our clients are still US based. And uh, I can already say that uh, we will, we are already, we are already in the US and we will be coming soon uh, uh, with, um, with a new production center uh, uh, on site. And uh, I am excited to explore the U.S. market. And we've been seeing that there is a lot of opportunity. There are a lot of opportunities today. 
for two main reasons. One is the fact that uh, we know that, uh, of course, uh, U US is the biggest market for additive, and that's obvious, but it's the one that is more keen to explore sometimes and to push new innovations. So we feel that our segment uh, has been, it's interesting, it's starting to eat up, but if we really want to push it, we need to go closer to the most advanced markets, and we know that the most advanced markets are there as well. And the second element is the fact that uh, there are some key industries, aerospace is one of them, where we are very much focused and we are working very well with, that we want to serve from, uh, from a closer uh, uh, standpoint. So that's, that's one. And I mean, as a, as a business as a whole, our idea is really to, to be able to unlock as many applications as so what we hope in five years from now is really that we have taken market share from CNC, from these traditional processes, and that the supply chains of large uh, uh, conglo industrial conglomerates in aerospace, in automotive, in energy, in marine, uh, will be uh, using more and more this type of technology for an efficiency matter, but also, uh, most importantly, for because we know that if we push this technology, we have a technology that doesn't waste that uh, it's able to, re to reduce carbon footprint by distributing different types of cluster closer to the to point of production. And we are able at the same time to use recycled materials as well. So in that sense, our, our dream is to have a distributed network of robots that are able to print just directly at the, place of, uh, the point of use the, the specific parts, tools, or, or functional parts that are needed. And of course, to make fly, uh, to make our parts fly. So the idea of uh, moving from tooling to functional parts for aerospace is the key, is a big part of our mission. We've been working very, very hard on that. And I hope that I'll be able to share with you some interesting uh, new applications that we'll be developing in the next one. All right. Well, thank you so much. It uh, sounds like you got a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Much to do, I would say. <laughs> lots and lots. But hey, thanks a lot uh, for, for coming to, to talk to us. No, thank you guys for inviting and uh, for the amazing program you guys do. All right. And uh, Max, thank you for being here as well. Always. Thank you. And thank you for listening. And this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.